0: Hey, everyone. This is Dory back in your feed for another classic Abby Eat St. Louis podcast episode as we continue developing our future food coverage plans in this one. Such an interesting listen and really stands out in my memory. It was our last pre-pandemic episode. Um, We recorded it the the day everything went down back in March 2020. Um, And for that episode, we talked with Schlafly CEO Fran Caradonna, It's an episode that almost didn't happen because of some technical equipment issues, but Fran was so kind and understanding, really a testament to her and how she runs the craft beer company. Take a listen to how coming up in a beer bros world made her such a boss babe.
1: Fran studied journalism back in the day. She even worked in public radio. It's why she immediately took interest in my recording equipment. I bragged to her how much better and easier it's gotten to use, even since I started this podcast, which makes it all the more embarrassing that I missed some part of the audio process along the way, and it didn't turn out. So, Fran, we are here again today because I messed up. (laughs) I had audio issues when we did the first interview. Um, It's one of those things you go back to the station and you're like, all right, well, that happened once. And everybody just kept saying, it's okay. It's never going to happen again. What's a mistake that you have made in the
2: past that you said, well, I'm not going to make that mistake again? Oh, so many, Abby. <laughs> I don't even know. I'll have to try to think of one. Um, you know, the thing I tell people today is don't be afraid of making mistakes. Um, be, d- just figure out how to fix it. Number one, repair the mistake you make. And number two, figure out how not to do that again, you know. Um, in the beer business, there's, it's just so easy to make a mistake. You can make a mistake making the beer. You can make a mistake, you know, doing the business part, paying the taxes, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I actually, in the first six months I was here last year, I, I actually offered rewards for mistakes really yeah and I said what do you mean by that I said please make a mistake I'm gonna give a reward what I said was I'm gonna give a reward for the best mistake and I had just read something uh, I forget now who I was reading but they were talking about elevating the quality of your mistakes Reducing the quantity, but elevating the quality, the better your mistakes are, then the the better you're doing, you know, because if you're not making stupid mistakes anymore, right? You slowly elevate the quality of your mistakes. And so... Somebody on the team said, oh, I'm just going to open a valve and let a bunch of beer hit the floor. And I said, well, it can't be a stupid mistake. No rewards for dumb mistakes. But try something, mm-hmm. you know. And if if we're not making mistakes, we're probably not pushing the envelope enough. It's like the harder you're swinging, the more it's going to hurt if you miss your target. That's but right. But yeah. At least you're swinging hard in the first place. Exactly. I and we can that. learn so much from, from fixing the mistake and then fixing the system that caused the mistake. So you've done that. Yes. You, you will never make that mistake nope. again. Nope, not even I a little bit. I promise you you'll make other mistakes, and that's a good thing. <laughs> exactly.
1: Maybe somebody will reward me along the way for those Yeah, there as you well. go. Like so many of us, Fran's first real experiences with beer happened in college at the University of South Carolina. She was into trying new brews even then, though I think it'd be fair to say her palate
2: wasn't quite as refined. We were a test market for Natural Light back in the late '70s. Natty South light. Carolina was. We didn't call it Natty Light. Um, I, I didn't hear that until I moved to St. Louis. Really? And and you guys called it Natty Light. We didn't call it Natural Light. We just called it Natural. It was oh. just give me a Natural, and you know I was. That sounds ch- appealing. It was very, you know. <laughs> I was at that age i wasn't wearing makeup you know i was going with the natural look and so give me a natural and eh, it tastes like beer but as you know as i got a little older and and got into my early and mid 20s um I really did begin to appreciate other beers, you know, imports mostly back then. Well, that's all we had. Mm-hmm. Um, darker beers, hoppier beers, and started looking for, for good beer. Try and explore a little yeah, bit with that. Yeah.
1: After graduating, Fran worked in public media for a while on the advertising side, then joined an ad agency. She says she looks back and sees how all the experience running small business and figuring out what works and what doesn't in direct marketing was a good foundation for her career to come. Plus, she says it was the 80s. The ad world was fast-paced and fun, and she was a rising star. In the meantime, she'd gotten married to a craft beer fanatic from St. Louis named Tony. They moved here. He started a distribution company. And when they decided to have a family, she left that go-go advertising world behind to start working with him at the Signature Beer Company.
2: Somehow we always knew we were going to work together. Mm -hmm. You know, we felt like one of the things we did well. And I still think we were great business partners. We have, you know, our skills complemented each other. And um, he, it was something he was really passionate about. And he worked for a beer distribution company, Grisidic Imports, which was no longer here. It was bought by Glazer some years ago. And he went to work for them right as Corona was coming to town, the first wave of Corona. Mm. So he was hired in first as a a beer truck driver and then as a beer sales guy. so funny to me to even think about that as being something that wasn't mainstream oh yeah I was not it was all new yeah. it, you know it was a whole, and it was it was huge for that distributor it was you know people loved trying it and it was it was kind of like you see today with the seltzers yeah you know it was like the latest thing mm-hmm. so anyway he he worked for them and he saw the craft beer thing happening on the coast and so you know Knowing that we wanted to have our own business, this seemed like a logical thing. So, you know, he put together the plan to start a small distributorship. And uh, we were in a position where we didn't have to, it wasn't a big capital intensive business. We bought a van, a delivery van. We had enough cash to rent a a little tiny warehouse. Um, And I kept my job so that I could pay the bills. So we didn't have to pay him. The company didn't have to pay him a lot of money. And and so the, the, that was how I contributed to the launch of that business was to be able to make sure we, and, you know, we lived in a little house in Shrewsbury and kept our expenses small so yeah. that we could, could invest in that. So we built that business up. And so when
1: you were exposed to St. Louis for the first time via your then husband, were you aware of what the beer culture was here specifically because of the fact that this is a city in the shadow of a pretty big brewery? Uh,
2: I wasn't aware until I got here and I became aware because partly because Tony Caradonna was such... A huge fan of Anheuser-Busch and what they stood for in this community. Um, you know, they've, they they have kept the brewery open during the 13 years of Prohibition so that people had work. Right. I mean, that makes a huge impact for generations. Absolutely. And I think there's people today who don't even realize that's where some of the community loyalty comes from because it was 100 years ago. But um, it's truly woven itself it into had, the fabric. Of yeah, they were so much a part of the community and and it, th- the love and respect went both ways, you know. I really think that was a big part of it. So Tony was, you know, came grew up in this town where there was that deep abiding respect for uh, the company and the family, the Bush company and the Bush family. So. Yeah, he was he was a big fan and just appreciated the way they went about doing their business back then. He he didn't see himself as a guy who would work there, but he he because he also understood that before prohibition, there were a hundred. Breweries, small breweries in the neighborhoods of St. Louis, and mm-hmm. he thought that was really cool too. And you know, we hung around with people who thought that was cool. <laughs> you know, and and we saw that starting to happen on the East Coast and the West Coast in the in the mid 80s, late 80s, and um, you know, we thought that was pretty cool. All this great beer out there, this the idea that beer could be made locally and enjoyed locally was just very enticing. Even they grew their company to be the go-to
1: purveyor of craft beer before selling it to another local distributor, they'd always wanted to get into what Fran calls the fun side of things, actually brewing beer. The couple used the capital from selling Signature to launch O'Fallon Brewery. It was, at the time, one of just a handful of craft breweries in the St. Louis area, including Trailhead, Morgan
2: Street, and Schlafly. We were the fourth brewery, so we decided in October, wrote our business plan, went to the banks, asked for money, um ordered the equipment, found a location, a building, applied for our licenses. We moved into the location in January. Um, the equipment came in in February. We made our first test batch in March, and we sold our first keg of beer the first week of April. Wow. I mean, it happened yeah. really fast. As fast as it
1: happened, Fran kept up. Even as they sold O'Fallon, Fran stayed busy. She and Tony aren't married anymore, but her relationship with beer hasn't really changed. It's just gotten stronger. She was picked to be Schlafly's CEO last July. Because there's not as much sunlight between 2019 and 1920 as you would hope, though, much ado has been made about the fact that a woman can be in charge of a beer company? That, Fran says, is something she's actually been dealing with her entire career.
2: Well, they assume you're the secretary or the administrative assistant or, you know, you're the wife. So you and he must be the boss and you must be the helper. And, you know, not that not that I wasn't a helper and and, or he wasn't a helper. But we had very. um very clear roles that we figured out between us. He knew, we knew who was the boss. I was, you know, he knew, I knew, and, and he was the boss of some things and I was the boss of other things, but he was the vision guy and the sales guy and I ran the rest of the company. And so the, you know, folks would come in, mostly insurance salesmen and, you know, ask for him and I'd have to gently remind them, you know, that we all know who the boss is and they go, oh yeah, sure. And I go, no, oh, really? I'm the CEO. <laughs> you check need the name my signature on that. Exactly. <laughs> He's going to defer to me on that. So, you know, and it worked well for us. And um, as time has gone on, that's less of a thing. Thankfully, yeah. you know, people aren't as surprised your generation, the men in your generation and even generations above and certainly below you are just it, there's more of an expectation that a woman can be a leader, a woman can be in control. And for my generation, it was still very new. Not quite as unusual as my mom's generation, but I think, you know, I've said that of all my friends in high school, I'm the only one who had a real career. You know, the rest of them supported their husband's careers. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But they were all very accomplished women in their own rights. One was a CPA. One was a horticulturist. One was an architect. Mm -hmm. You know, and when the kids came along, they gave up their careers. So um, not bad or good, just different. Right. And, yes, my generation, I
1: do think thankfully, that we are getting better at just kind of assuming we will have a seat at the table, making a seat at the table for ourselves. Mm -hmm. But did you see times where the table was set and there wasn't a spot for you and you had to kind of elbow your way in?
2: Yeah, especially in the beer business because it's very male-dominated and very male-dominated in this town. Craft made it a little easier because we were already quirky, you know. Schlafly has always had women at the table from the beginning, so So it wasn't hard when we were working with Schlafly to to be their distributor. You know, to be a female voice that wasn't difficult. But you know, I I did a mentoring event not too long ago with the Business Journal and um almost every single woman that sat down with me you know referenced the being a female in a male dominated industry and yeah. you know there I talked to a woman in construction I talked to uh, a couple people in tech I talked to some people in um uh, engineering, yeah. chemical engineering, and, you know, real estate, uh, they're all in male dominated. And they yes. said, how do you, how do you compete? Right. And, and my answer is to don't pretend like it doesn't exist, that it's not a thing, that you're the only one in there. Yeah. And, and when you're, when you're knowingly or unknowingly mistreated, speak up with a sense of humor and then just do the best job you can because you you let your work speak for itself and then everything else goes away mm-hmm. so yeah uh, just being really good at your job is the most important thing and I think that's true for men too you want to see that you want to move up let your work speak for you mm-hmm. you mentioned something that the craft
1: beer world kind of helped it expanded the diversity of people who would be working in this because, like you said, We weren't as buttoned down. Yeah, (laughs) quirkier. Do you feel like on the consumer side, craft beer has made
2: beer in general more accessible for women? Yeah, I do think so. Um, I I think it's more interesting. Um, I think uh, women are... I don't know. I think it's made it more accessible for everybody. Yeah. Not just women, because craft beers, like I said, more interesting, different flavors. And just the idea of being different or small, I think maybe, um, maybe it's not women, maybe it's young people. Yeah. I'm not sure. But it, it is a fact that women are attracted to craft beer, both as drinkers and as workers. Um, we have... Uh, you know, we, we have far more women in the business today, even on the production side. I mean, like I said, Schlafly's always had women in the yeah. brewery. But, but today, a lot of small breweries do. And there's even breweries here that were founded by women, you know, and that's such a nice, um, such a nice sign of uh, really anyone can do this who has the passion. Yeah beer has been in the past known as more of a bro
1: drink business has been known as a man's world in so many ways but like we were just saying both are progressing which do you think is progressing faster in a be- better healthier way to you Hmm, that's a good question
2: um you know i i know i've always said I love the beer business because I've been here a long time and I've learned it, but I didn't have the passion for it that Tony had. Mm -hmm. My passion was for small business. Yeah. And I still feel passionate about making a small business work. And so for me to kind of separate the two is hard, um... Because I think there's so much potential in both beer and business Mm -hmm. to do it better. Um, You know, the whole idea of continually improving and finding better ways to do it. So I don't know if one is faster, evolving faster than the other. They're both evolving quickly. Mm -hmm. How's that? I like that. (laughs) How's that that for a non-answer answer? That's (laughs) fair. I like
1: it, though. Schlafly brews a lot of different beers. Some are on grocery store shelves or in restaurants. Some are only in their locations in the city, Maplewood, and soon St. Charles. Cabin Fever, Stout and Oyster Festival, Art Outside, Hop in the City, the Full Moon Festival. You can fill your calendar with schlafly events, where you can also fill your glass with varieties of beer that you won't find anywhere else outside of those events. Fran admits that their brewing team likes to try new things. They like to show off, she says. But for anyone in the beer biz in this town, the Anheuser influence is a blessing and a curse. I mean, obviously the city's exploding right now with 60 plus, 70 plus breweries. But do you think, especially when you were kind of beginning and trying to get craft beer into people's hands, do you think the Anheuser-Busch
2: dominance made it more difficult? Yeah, I think I think we did. We had to do a lot of education at mm-hmm. the beginning because in this town, which was such a loyal beer town, people understood the beer business in in one way, mm-hmm. which is, it's Anheuser-Busch, and there's, you know, Bud, Bud Light, Mick, Mick Light, you know, and you pick one, you yeah. know, and that's what, my dad always drank Budweiser, I drink Bud Light or whatever. My dad was Bud Light for a real long time then Mick ultra for a while yeah that's exactly right and the and you were loyal to a brand and so when we when we started when Schlafly started um, the consumers question was what is this and which one tastes most and like McUltra? why <laughs> is this different and which one tastes mo- exactly yeah. which one tastes like what I'm used to or Or what they, they didn't even say which one back then. They said, does it, does it taste like Budweiser? Interesting. You know, and so we did a lot of educating of how is this different than what you love? And, and we talked, we poured a lot of samples, you know, sampling. I still, to this day, think sampling is the best way to sell a beer. Yeah. Is, Is you get a beer in somebody's hands and you let them taste it. And, and a portion of them will like it enough to go buy it. Yeah. Not, and it's not, you know, we're not making beer for the masses. That's what they already do, is they make beer that's, that's not offensive to as many people as possible. And that sells a lot of beer, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's not what craft is in general. I've talked to guys who started, you know, home
1: brewing a couple years ago, and now they're opening their small brew pubs, and everybody's so psyched about this collaborative environment that St. Louis has created but Schlafly was the first Mm -hmm. to create a craft brewery here. Does that make your life actually harder now? Um, How do you view the collaboration and, frankly, the competition now that's kind of sprouting up everywhere?
2: Well, Tom Schlafly likes to joke, you know, back in the day we used to encourage people to try lots of different things and look where it got us. (laughs) You know, I don't think he would change a thing. Um, I think we have, I think our... The fact that we're the first um, is both an asset and can be a liability mm-hmm. if we let it. And and so like any, we all have assets and liabilities as people. Um, and our job is to enhance our assets and minimize our liabilities. And, and so the asset is that we have a lot of experience. And we have been around a long time. And we are able to hire and attract very qualified people to make our beer. And it is the very best it can possibly be. We have excellent quality control. I'm not saying other people don't. Mm-hmm. I'm saying we've learned a lot over the years. We've we've got some experience that nobody else has. Just and you can only control yourselves. Really, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. That's it. We got to play our game. We can't be staring at the competition. It just doesn't do any good. But we also have a responsibility, I believe, um, to be part of the community. And when I when we think of the community, it's not just the neighborhoods that we're in. Um, it's also the industry community that we're in and our goal is to be uh, to be a leader in that com- that community a supporter in that community there's plenty of sales for all of us i've always said that you know i i, I it's it's like yes we compete with forehands and urban chestnut no fallon but it's it's like i watch my my or you can watch the Cardinals. They get out there, and they play their hardest, you know, so the batter and the pitcher are competing. It's a a mano-a-mano, you know, and when the hitter gets on first base, he runs his hardest to get to first base Mm -hmm. and not be out, and the first baseman is stretching as far as he can to try to get that guy out, but at the end of the play, you know, they pat each other on the butt, and they chat each other up and say, hey, what's, uh, who knows what they say out there, but (laughs) They're competing as hard as they can, Mm -hmm. but they're still friendly. And so to me, it's the same kind of competition that we have uh, you know we're we're all here we all have a job and that's to take care of of the consumers and you do it your way we do it our way and it's okay you, know. you just
1: made a baseball analogy about selling beer you were officially a st louis <laughs> now. I, know.
2: I don't care where you're originally from <laughs> i've been here a long time
1: friend what's in your fridge at home
2: Right now, I've got some Schlafly Cider, traditional cider, which is really good. Um, I have some Boomerang in my refrigerator, which is our new um, Mead Spritzer, which is very delicious. And we think it plays with Truly and White Claw. It's kind of in that area. Except for, as
1: podcast listeners will know, I can't stand either of those two things. And I really like Boomerang. Oh, good. That's good to know.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I've got a couple of different stouts we put out a mixed 12 pack of stouts called stout bout and so I've got a few of those in there one's a session stout one's a chocolate Mexican chocolate stout which is very good Mm -hmm. Um, and Mm -hmm. I think I also have a little wine in my refrigerator because I do like wine Um, no kegerator yeah no kegerator back in the day when we had O'Fallon we had a kegerator (laughs) in the garage yeah but no not anymore
1: (laughs) when you pour yourself um, a Mexican chocolate stout into a glass at the end of the day and you raise that glass.
2: What are you toasting to? I think I'm toasting to life. You know, I'm at the, I I have the best job in the world, a job that I wouldn't, I probably wasn't even smart enough to hope for. And yet it feels like exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I get to work with a bunch of great people. Um, I love St. Louis. I just can't help myself. I didn't mean to stay here this long. It just happened. Um, and so, yeah, I am just, just happy to be living and working uh, at this stage of my life in such a happy spot. Thank you so much, Fran. I appreciate you sitting down with me. You again. are so welcome. I'm happy <laughs> and I, to I always do appreciate
1: it. talking to a journalism major who made a career out of beer. Beer. <laughs> Who'd have known? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, everybody should have figured that one. Out. <laughs> yeah.
0: Schlafly is celebrating 30 years of brewing and they're doing all kinds of fun collabs with local businesses and they're coming out of pandemic restrictions too with plans to bring back art outside. It's happening this upcoming Memorial Day weekend. So a big cheers to Schlafly and we have some celebrating to do ourselves. Abby and I are so excited to share that Abby Eats St. Louis won a regional Edward R. Murrow Award and for Those outside the journalism industry, um, just know that these are the gold standard in journalism, essentially, very highly coveted. They're competitive. Um, So it's a recognition that we certainly do not take lightly in winning two Murrows in three years, an honor, a huge honor that we are just so thankful for. Um, I think you all know that we are so proud of the work that we've done on this podcast, the stories that we've brought you over the last several years, And always so thankful for your support and encouragement. And like I said before, Five on Your Side is continuing to develop plans for how we're going to keep bringing you engaging food content in the future. Hopefully we'll have some updates on that to share soon. Ooh la la! Ooh, Ooh la la! Abby Eat St. Louis is a Five Under Side production. I'm producer Dory Olmos. Be sure to check out case2k.com and the Five Under Side app for more food content all week long.